0: So I know many of you guys know this about me, but if you don't, again, I apologize in advance. I'm not sure what happened to me as a, as a child. Uh, I'm not sure uh, how all this worked out, but uh, I, don't, I don't like pets. Um, my hamsters died after three days. Um, my dogs, um, they were dogs, and they, they do what dogs do, and that's um, pretty much um, defecate where you live. And I'm not a big fan of that personally. Um, And then, you know, the other thing that I really realized when I was growing up and then have advanced this into my teaching to my kids is, listen, when you have pets, they're just like kids, you know. You got to watch them. You got to babysit them. You got to do family worship with them. Like, it's just weird, you know. And um, so uh, we have uh, elicited a uh, zero pet policy in my house Um, again, I know that goes against many of you guys, and I'm guessing some of you are thinking about leaving Matthias because of my stance on that. It's not a biblical stance per se, um, per se, but if you look really closely in Matthew 29, you'll see some really intense commands, um, if Matthew 29 existed, but it didn't. Some of you guys caught that. You're like, Matthew 29? I'm not. So anyway, all I have to say, check out this video of, uh, me and my new good friend. Check this out. Interesting. Uh-huh.
1: Left turn. Right <laughs> turn onto the circle. The Mrs. S. S. Left turn to the corner. <laughs> Left advanced
0: <the> turn. The Mrs. S. Okay, pause right there. Pause right there. Now this happens. This is real. There are real people that do this, okay? You guys see what I'm saying? Like, these are, this, this is real human beings. So, I'll I, I notice two things about this. A, the dog's pretty impressive, okay? Right? So, what I want to know is, how many doggy treats did it take to get him to do that? You know what I'm saying? No. Like, like, how much initiative? But the other thing that I'm really curious at is, look at all of the spectators, like I mean people are like three and four deep, you know what I'm saying? People are actually paying or at least spending time watching this. So the question is why? Why would people in this case pay to see fluffy in the obedience dog championship follow a uh, command? I think one of the reasons is because precise obedience is really, really interesting. When something or someone follows exactly, no uh, deviation, no sidewinder thought, no rabbit trail, like literally to a T. I mean, this dog, and finishes well, like I watched the whole clip many times over, started vomiting in my mouth, and then watched it again. Um, Like this dog nails it. And all of these people are watching watching, because precise obedience is luring in that way. So, uh, here's what I recognize. Uh, in our study of Exodus, Moses has been anything but a precisely obeyer, right? If that's a phrase. Uh, in fact, he, he's done the opposite. Uh, God's called him at an old age, at a seasoned age, to do amazing things. And he has doubted God all the way. By my count, six different Doubts major contentions where he said, like, look, God, there's no possible way I could even do this. I'm I'm not this or I'm not that. Um, Over and over and over, not obeying God. But tonight, tonight, this 80-year-old man takes a drastic shift. And because of that, it gives you and I a a chance to wrestle with a question I'm going to pose right now. Where in your life... Do you find yourself kind of obeying? And when I say kind of, I mean hanging in relationships when you know God wouldn't have you in it, but letting it linger. I'm talking about parents who kind of love their kids. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't step to my relationship with my kids. All right, let me explain. The same thing I struggle with. Loving your, ke- uh, loving your kids with full in attention, no distraction, loving your kids in the way that, um, that Christ would have us as moms and dads. I'm talking about the, just the kind of obedience, the thing in the times when God says, do this, and we kind of love our enemies, the ones that aren't doing us too much harm, but the rest of the enemies, not so much. You see what I'm saying? I believe our life is plagued with kind of obedience. And then the question that we all have to wrestle with, is that obedient at all? If it's halfway, if it's 75%, if it's sort of, is that obeying God? And I want to put this out here again, and then I'm going to pray. Unfortunately, many of us walk in here with this idea of obedience, especially as it pertains to God, as this thing that has gone and become so burdensome to you, instead of blessing his name in obedience because of all the things that he has done and is, right? Right? So we're going to take this journey tonight. Something happens in Moses, and this story will not look like the stories of the past. So let's pray, and we're going to rock and roll. Is that cool? All right, for the three of us who think that's cool, thank you. Um, God, I pray right now uh, by your um, hand that even as we start tonight, God, that you'll do a huge work in this place. I'm asking that they wouldn't be my words tonight that would be communicated, but yours. And I pray tonight, God, that each of us, as we sit in here, no matter where we're at with our walk with you and, and our, our picture of obedience with you, God, I pray right now that you'll clear up our minds and completely fill our hearts with joy and obedience to you in your great and holy name. Amen. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 6. We just saw God give Moses and Aaron... A massive charge. And what does the uh, subtitle there in the middle of uh, chapter 6 say? Right before verse 14. For those of you guys on your phone should be seeing the same sub- subtitle. What does that say? The genealogy of Moses and Aaron. Okay. You guys all know what a genealogy is? It's like a family tree. There's many of these throughout the Bible. And many of them feel pointless. Okay? Many of them, if you've ever read a genealogy in Genesis, if you've seen Jesus's, you know, there's, there's plenty throughout the Scripture They feel a little bit like, why is this in here? Well, (laughs) in studying to preach this tonight, you're like, all right, great, we get to study a genealogy. I read this like 20 times, and I got every name wrong 15 times. So I thought to myself, self, what would be really helpful is if we had someone else read it for us. Someone else with like a really low, deep, awesome voice that's on ESVstudybible.com. So fire the laser, check this out. Watch these names. Here we go.
1: These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Paliu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. He's got plenty more. Let him keep going. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel. The <laughs> years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. That's really old. The sons of mirari Malai, and Mushai. These are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister. And she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years, the sons of Izar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zichri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzaphan, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elishaba, the daughter of Amminadab, and the sister of Nashan, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, (laughs) the sons of Korah. Asser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putio, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans.
0: Oh, dear. So I hope, I hope you would extend me some grace uh, in that. I tried. I mean, I, I was reading it. I was phonetically spelling it out on paper. Um, but if you're like me, uh, you're like, what's the point? Well, well. first of all, when you study verse by verse, you can't just skip these things. We study the Bible verse by verse so that texts like this have meaning because they're in the Bible for a reason. So our question is, why this and why now? Why all of a sudden Moses, who I believe wrote Exodus, all of a sudden inserts a genealogy? What would be the point? Well, there's a few key names in that genealogy that we've already pointed to before. Moses comes from the line of Levi, Levi and his tribe of Israelites, out of them will come the priestly order of the Israelite system. And Moses then being one of them. And so that's a key piece. But also, all of these names, many of which do not appear in the Bible outside of this genealogy. It's further point that God doesn't like all of a sudden take Moses from the greatest king that had ever lived. Now, yeah, he was adopted by a, a pharaoh's household, but all these names are random names representing random people, ordinary people. I would guess if you were to take a little magic marker on your whiteboard and have some fun right out your family tree, it would be both humbling and encouraging, right? Some of that family tree you'd be really excited about, proud of. You'd say, man, I praise God that our family has this person. And others, not so much, Right? Other parts of that family tree, you'd be like, ah, you know, that's, as, as we call it, kind of the black sheep. But listen, the thing that I hope you would celebrate as you look at your genealogy and heritage is that somehow, despite all of the mess of that tree, right, your tree has some mess, right, all the mess of that tree and still somehow the work that being, is being done in your life because of a great God. So that's why I believe all of a sudden, randomly, Moses inserts this to show us, like, look, I'm an 80-year-old man, and who, who knows how old he was when he wrote this? I'm an 80-year-old man, and God has done a work through a heritage that is filled with ordinary people. And so let's continue to go here in uh, verse 26. There, we made it through the genealogy. If you're going home and want to try to read through those again, feel free. ESVstudybible.com, you can read along with our, um, stally, our English stallion there. Verse 26. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. Point being, this is their lineage. This is their heritage. This is the same Moses and Aaron. It was, verse 27, They who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. I love when biblical writers write about themselves here in the third person, this Moses and this Aaron. Will you remember... Things haven't gone well so far. Moses has gone. He has been shut down. He is getting frustrated. We've seen him angry with God. We've uh, seen him say, God, why did you bring me here? Verse 28. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, reiterating a previous event, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I uh, say to you. We've already seen this. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I, uh, I am of uncircumcised lips How will Pharaoh listen to me? All right. We're all caught up. Moses is in angst. And my friends, the beautiful text beginning here in chapter 7, verse 1. Come on. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. Uh, Have any of you guys ever said this before to friends of yours? Listen, I'm like God to you. I'm not sure what kind of relationship you think we have. Um, but, right? Like, what in the world is God saying to Moses? You're going to be like God to Pharaoh. Well, the key word there is every teenager's favorite word. Like, right? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the key word in that entire verse. Like God. Parents. How many parents here? A little shout out. Come on, parents. All right. Okay, thank you. Not sure why you're whistling. Um, <laughs> like, all of a sudden, like, a, a parent means you're attractive. Like, because you gave the, right? We know that's not true. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) Uh, if you're a parent in here, then you are like God to your kids, right? So the question is, how's that going for you? Uh, You are their first vantage point of what God is like, of how God talks, of how God acts. Anybody including myself a little bit humbled currently? It's unbelievable when you, you know, you're carrying like the little ones, the, the newborns, right? And then all of a sudden those newborns start talking. And you start realizing how much those little newborns have taken in. How much they do act like you and talk like you and say things that you wish you wouldn't have said, right? Uh, those of you in discipling relationships here at Matthias, a huge piece of our church. You are like God to that disciple. You're not God. You certainly don't take the place of God. But you are for them a spokesperson, a communicator, someone who is involving this person into your life so that you can show them by your words, your deeds, and everything that you are, the gospel. So God tells Moses something that I don't think is devoid from our existence as well. You are like God. We understand this is a lot of cliches in Christendom about this. That many people, the only God that they'll ever see is you. You stop to think about it. Cliches are cliches for a reason, because oftentimes they're pretty true. And the reality is, you might be the only God, or at least the shaping perspective of who God is to others. I think of how many people have gotten um, really, really angry with. Christians because of how one Christian represented the rest of us. And the reality is they claimed Christ and they weren't a Christian at all. You see what I'm saying? It's dangerous. Our lives are both powerful and dangerous all at the same time. And Moses to Pharaoh is going to be like God. And Aaron, the mouthpiece, God says, will be his prophet. Now here's what God says to Moses. You shall speak, and I love this, I love this, you shall speak all that I command you And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. This is the point of contention if you haven't been with us. we got a whole bunch of Israelite slaves. God's plan is to free these Israelites from slavery after 400 years of being enslaved and then take them to a new land. And what God tells Moses is you're going to say exactly what I command you. You do not have to get creative. One of the freest pieces of my understanding of communicating the gospel when I was a young age is stop trying to come up with cool phrases yourself. Talk the Bible. (laughs) many of you guys know my story? I started preaching at, at the age of 12, very young age, and at that point, I was modeling what had been modeled for me, and so I was preaching internet jokes and stories I would find a cool article online. This is when email just kind of started to come out, and then I would share that, but I at least shared it with passion, and so people appreciated it. But finally, I had someone come up to me, and and they're like, Mark, listen. You don't have to find something. You don't have to get creative. God, the creator, has done been creative. Amen, right? So take what he has said and communicate. Well, to take what he has said and communicate means that the word for believers, being already written on our heart, now empowered by the Spirit to be communicated, must be studied and learned. But, but, but I know many of you guys are like, "But Mark, but Mark, you don't understand." I'm like working out at the gym, and all of a sudden I'm supposed to quote Ephesians 2:5. You know, we're saved by grace through faith. Like all of a sudden, oh, and by the way, you know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says we're saved by grace through faith. Uh, is that what we're supposed to do? Are We supposed to like wear God's Word on our shirt, you know, so we have reference points, you know? Oh yeah, and then, hold on a second. Oh, and Micah 3. Oh, I didn't even know Micah was in the Bible. Anyway, um, like is, is that what we're to do? Here's what I've learned. Um, when I have opportunities to share God's Word, I can talk about grace and being saved by grace through faith without using Bible references and still quoting the Bible. And what's unbelievable to people who have no idea what the Bible is, you have to remember, you're talking to a non-believer who thinks the Bible is hogwash. So if we're, if we're quoting the scripture, like, all of a sudden, like, they're going to believe it? You're talking to people who don't believe it, okay? So what I've learned is if if I have simple truths of God's word that can be communicated like God said it in ways that communicate, then I don't have to get creative. I just rest and, listen, let me explain something to you. Um, let me explain this amazing reality of grace to you. And then all of a sudden, here comes faith and I'm commanding uh, and I'm I'm speaking exactly what God has commanded me. I'm not like pulling out some, you know, uh, uh, some truth out of my pocket to hand someone. It's just God's word coming out just as the way he commanded it. And so I just want to encourage you guys. I know some of you are like, how do I share my faith with my friends? Um, What I've learned is what the Spirit is doing in us is glorifying Jesus, is exalting Christ. Okay, we see that in the later parts of John. That is the Holy Spirit's role in, in, in one form. And so when the Holy Spirit is working, Christ will be proclaimed, and it will be in a way that God commands because it will be rooted in the Scripture. Amen, right? Okay? So I'm I'm just encouraging you, for those of you that are like, you know, trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, share the gospel with your classmates. Okay? You don't have to be like, oh, yeah, well, I know you don't believe in God, but let me quote the entire book of Revelation. Or like many of you guys say, Revelations. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation. Okay? Anyway. (laughs) Verse 3. You guys have heard that, right? Oh, you know, in Matthew's chapter, no, it's not Matthew's, it's Matthew. Verse 3, lighthearted. Verse 3, lighthearted. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders, in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen. All right. Uh, Jared, a couple weeks ago, preached on this, and he, um, he said that I would be up in a couple weeks and could deal with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. This opens up a lot of questions. Come on, right? Hold on, God hardens Pharaoh's heart, then Pharaoh doesn't have a chance. And if Pharaoh doesn't have a chance, then who else doesn't have a chance? This phrase, and I'm going to make a contention to you right now, unfortunately and misappropriately has become a point of contention for for theological theological debate that I believe shouldn't have. Here's why. Is Pharaoh a God-believing person, anyone? Heck, no. Pharaoh is a pagan man worshiping pagan gods, including himself, and has never bent the knee to the Lord. Amen? Right? Agree? Okay. So, let me say this first. Pharaoh's heart is already hard. Okay? In that theological debate, people don't bring up that point. They think all of a sudden God took a good heart and made it hard. That God took an apple and made it a pear. I hate pears. I don't know, like, right? That God took something good and then God in his anger, like, took that heart and morphed it into be something bad. Pharaoh's heart was already distant from God. Worshiping himself. Paganism. Worshiping all kinds of gods. And so God's work in his heart was as it were, giving him over to the heart that already was his. And I will make this contention too. Every single person that is born in this world because of our predecessor in Adam and Eve is born with a hardened heart towards God, period. Every person is born a sinner. I know your precious little children seem so innocent and cuddly and cute. They're sinners, right? They, right there's some parents amen and now. Now, people will start to wake up up in here, right? Children be sinning, right? They're deceitful. They go against. I mean, at the moment, they can start talking. They're already lying, right? They're already lying. So God's work in Pharaoh's heart here, we must understand, with a baseline, Pharaoh's heart was already hard. Now, the next question is, so why would God allow it to stay hard? <laughs> uh, what I see in the Bible is this constant pattern. What I see in your lives and my lives is a constant pattern. Uh, that pattern is God is about His glory. He gets His glory in a lot of ways, but God is about exalting Himself, making sure that His name is exalted. And first, we must wrestle with, are we okay with that? Are we okay with a God who is loving, gracious, and merciful, who exalts himself? Are we okay with that? Are we okay with a God that though we should be dead, he has extended the mighty arm of love and grace and said, No, you're mine, and then in that, is exalted. Are we okay with that? Because if we are, then what I've learned about my God is he loves to shoot the last second three. Loves it. Your life is proven over and over and over. You get to the end of yourself. You ain't got no hope and nothing left. And then what happens? God, the Lord, steps in over and over in Scripture, but God. Things were going abysmally, but God. You were at the end. Your relationship almost over, but God. You had no hope, but God. You had no life, but God. You were about to commit suicide, but God. You were about to indulge in this, but God. God. My God loves to glorify Himself by getting people to the end of themselves so that He and His power can be shown. Okay. So listen. By hardening Pharaoh's heart, we're going to see a whole other element of this. And going through all of these plagues, God will make clear who is God in Egypt. You guys see what I'm saying? There will be no doubt when everyone leaves Egypt who God is. Now the question is whether they'll receive that or not, whether they'll live in light of that or not, but everyone will know. So in this case, God hardens an already hardened heart to the gospel to exalt himself by shooting, as it were, a last second three. So God tells Moses, I'm going to do that. He's not going to listen, which is really really interesting because just before this, Moses has been discouraged about his lack of listening, and then God says at the end of verse four, "Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment." I know one of the most familiar parts of Exodus are the plagues. We're starting them next week, so if you're, you know, wanna, if you want a roller coaster ride, start, you know, come back next week because all the plagues begin these acts of judgment. Look what verse 5 says, and this brings tremendous clarity. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Let's all do a hypothetical. You guys know what hypothetical means? I don't, so let's just do it. Okay? Listen. (laughs) Moses goes in with Aaron. Okay? They do their, you know, they do their lepros, they do their staff to a snake thing. First time they meet with Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, Oh, you're right. You know, I've been bondage to these people for 400 years, but you're right, Moses. You're a really nice looking guy. Um, you guys got a couple bucks to spare? You know, a couple bucks, and I'll let your people go. If that happens, hypothetical. If that happens, you guys agree? If that happens, okay. Like the Lord's glory, the the, the craziness of the story, the like it. It doesn't have the effect, especially on the Egyptians. Like these acts of judgment will. And so by allowing Moses, and in this case Pharaoh, to not listen and hear, he says in verse 5, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Come on. Whether they receive him or not, whether they believe him or not, whether they live for him or not, they will know that their gods, lowercase, are not God at all. And whatever, listen, whatever God needs to do that to make that clear in our lives, I say bring it on. You're like, Mark, but, Mark, are you saying that we should want plagues in our life? Like all of a sudden, like a bunch of locusts up in here? You know, is 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 that what we want, Mark? No, I'm just saying if God can purge the lowercase gods out of our life so that he and he alone will sit on the throne of our heart, then I say, go to it, God. That's a scary prayer to pray, isn't it? You ever prayed it before? God purge the lowercase gods? And God's like, okay, no problem. Been doing that for years. I believe you pray that prayer, he'll answer that prayer. And I hope that that's a prayer you desire to pray. He won't listen, but the Egyptians will know. And verse 6 has absolutely changed my life. Moses and Aaron did so. What? They did just as the Lord commanded them. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. If you've been reading the same Bible, I have. Here's Moses' journey. Next slide. Here's Moses' journey. Check this out. Uh, Moses' doubt so far. Remember uh, chapter 3, verse 11? Who am I? When God calls him, he's like, who am I? And then the Lord says, "Uh, you don't need to worry about who you are. You need to worry about who I am. Here's his next doubt of six. They will not believe me or listen to my voice, God. I've got problems here. They're not going to listen. Next, number three. I am not eloquent. He's not, but that's okay, right? That's the point. He's not eloquent, but God will use him anyway. He's got a whole lot of doubts. He's got a whole lot of fears. Next slide. Uh, he, he finally just says, please send someone else. <laughs> right? And some may say because he's 80, this is like the voice of reason speaking, you know? Like he's realized who he is. Listen, it's time for someone else. I'm going to have to bring my cane. Nope. Next slide. Okay. Moses said to the Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? This is after his first interaction with Pharaoh. Pharaoh shuts him down the first time. And Moses is like, Why? Are you doing this? Like he meets some adversity, he's instantly ready to throw in the towel. And finally, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. I I am of uncircumcised lips. I know all of you guys tweeted that the last time we studied it. So, if your Bible's like mine and all those six doubts have been the pattern for Moses, then put up our next slide, verse 6 again. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Why? Um, what has happened? I did as much research as I possibly could on the word "just." They they did just. So I was like, okay, there's got to be something here. Hebrew word for just? What is it? They did like you know like ninety nine percent. Like what's the Hebrew word for just? Guess what? It's just. It's just. Can't make it sound. Can't make it say anything else. I tried. Like, there's got, there's got to be an out here. No. They did just as the Lord had commanded. In spite of all of these instances before, doubting, denying, going against, in this moment, and we're going to see it again in this, in this uh, ch- uh, chapter, in this moment, Moses and Aaron listen. They obey. Which proves what? Anybody's heart can change And let's start with even if they're 80. Come on. Right? You got an 80-year-old dude. I'm not eloquent. My lips aren't circumcised. Who knows what that means? And I've got all kinds of issues and problems. And yet what happens? This doubting man all of a sudden listens, obeys. So I know as it pertains to obedience... There are many seasoned folks in here, and we love you so much. We're so glad you're here. And you think, listen, Mark, I'm too old to get radical, and I just straight disagree. Wouldn't you all love, come on, wouldn't you all love to see the most crazy followers of Christ in this room be 60 plus? Come on. And one of them is, right? Right? But wouldn't, wouldn't, right? wouldn't you love, wouldn't you love if just all of our 60 plus year olds, we just had to tame them down, you know? Right? Have you guys been to a nursing home before, right? And you just got like the, the fired up 85-year-old. You're like, hey, you're going to have to settle down, you know, right? You need to sit back in your chair, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the case? If around this body, it was a whole bunch of people with white hair who we couldn't get to settle down. Because God had changed their heart. And they believed it wasn't too late to be radical. I'll also say on the, on the flip side of the coin, how about the young You think, oh, I've got time. If Moses had till he was 80, I got a whole lot of sinning to do then. You know what I mean? I got 70 years worth of sinning till things get all serious for me. No. Wouldn't it be, come on, wouldn't it be amazing to you to pray for and to see 8, 9, 10, 11-year-olds being baptized and their hearts just on fire for the Lord? Wouldn't that be unbelievable in this? Not too old, not too young, just God doing a work. Proving again that hearts can be changed. Let me encourage all of the doubters in this room. Let me encourage all the disobedient, all the wayward, all the complacent. Every person in here who's ever flipped God off and said, I want nothing to do with you. Let me tell you this, the gospel can change your heart. It can completely change every piece of you. I mean, if Moses was a doubter, I would, I would think we'd all agree he was one of the greatest doubters. He's looking face to face with God in a burning bush and saying, I don't think so. Right? Right? So if you don't feel like you can relate to those doubts, I'm not sure what doubts you can relate to. The point is God can change and will change hearts. And so I watch this dude. and I'm serious. Like I just want to put a flag in verse 6 and say praise be to God. And I'm guaranteeing you this. From this point on, and we'll see some you know, we'll see some niceness later in Moses' story. But from this point on, something has happened in this man, and he does not look back for a very long time. We're going to make some observations later about why this happens. But I just want to encourage you, God can change hearts no matter how old or how young. And that's why I believe this is quoted in verse 7. Now Moses was 80, Right? I think he, like, in this moment, writing this celebrates it. And not just Moses. And Aaron was 83, you know? And the cool thing about the Bible is, and many people, you know, have all kinds of contentions about the Bible and its accuracy. If you do a lineage search between Moses and Aaron's genealogy and how it meshes with their death and the age of their death, it all aligns with history, okay? Moses dies at 120. Aaron dies at 123. And it all aligns with all the historicity that's in the Scripture. It's beautiful, Moses was 80 and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. you think Pharaoh would have some respect for his elders, not so much. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, verse 8, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. Here we go. <laughs> so when Pharaoh says, prove yourself, this is where you all get a little bit frustrated if you're like me. Because I've been told, prove yourself a whole lot. Anyone else? Nonbelievers have been telling me, prove it, since I was a, I was a Christian, right? I mean, if you're not being told, prove it, then I'm going to go ahead and say, like, you're not having too many conversations with nonbelievers. Because the biggest angst about them is, listen, there's no proof. There's no logic. Prove it then. And some of you are like, yeah, if I just had a staff that turned into a serpent, like, you know, right? It'd be easy to prove God. And some of you guys have tried it, right? You, like, get a staff on Amazon, you know, because you have this non-believing friend. You get all prayed up. You fast, you know? You're like, all right, God. Listen, I know this person will believe right now, you know. Not realizing that you're the staff itself. You are the staff. I believe you're every piece of proving that God will use consistently in relationships. That's why this thing called relational evangelism can be so powerful. Because people see in you evidence of what God has done. We can spend an hour here. There's so much to say on proving the gospel. But we have to go on to this magic show. Here we go. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and what? What'd they do? They did just as the Lord commanded. See, they're not even, like, rebutting, I know, right? Well, God, yeah, but if you just, if there was some fireworks with the serpent staff thing, I think then we'd get them, you know? They're not even, like, adding in their own thoughts here. They're not thinking that they've got a better plan than God. They're just like, "Mm, I think we're to a point in our life where we're we're just going to go ahead and trust you. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded Aaron cast down a staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Just imagine this room. If you've seen Ten Commandments, if you love Charlton Heston, you've seen this scene. Moses comes in. They got the staff. Pharaoh's sitting on the big throne, and somehow it's like meticulously wooden floors. I'm not sure how that happens. And they throw this thing down, and it becomes a serpent. Now, verse 11 is heavy. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the what? And the sorcerers, and they... The magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. Now, we could just skip over this. I'd rather not. Is that cool? We could just say, I... I'd rather not. So you got Moses and Aaron and their staff. That's a snake. Now you got some sorceries, sorcerer, sorcerism. you got some mag- magicians from Egypt, and they come in, and their staffs become serpents too. So now you just got snake handling up right in front of Pharaoh. Why? And better, how? Is this ancient magic? What's going on here? Can Egyptian sorcerers make snakes? All right. So you got one side of the argument. One side of the argument says, uh, true. I've read this in like six different places. Well, If you hold a cobra, at its precise moment, you know, right on the the piece of his back, like, it'll put him in a comatose state, you know. And so he'll he'll appear and function like a staff, okay. I don't really know cobras. That doesn't seem accurate to me, you know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I'm just going to make some observations. I've watched enough videos. You know, I've seen Karate Kid, like, cobra, you know, they're just not... Come on, children of the 80s, please. (laughs) That's one side of the argument. I'm not in this camp. This isn't a close-handed issue, but I'm getting ready to share. But I want to share the camp I'm in. The enemy is powerful, powerful, powerful. And the enemy, my friends, uh, mixed with sorcery and magic... Uh, one of the, and I have chills right now thinking about it. My mom was forever affected by an event that happened in her bedroom with a Ouija board. Forever affected. We kind of laugh it off. <laughs> if you laugh it off, my friends, you better think twice. It's serious, real, intense stuff. The camp that I sit in, in this, in this moment, is magic sorcery is at the heart, part of the occult and demonic. And so to say in this moment that Satan, in the power that he's allowed to have on this world, ironically, until the head of the serpent is smashed by the Savior, right? How about this imagery? It's like serpent on serpent here. We all, knows who, we all know who serpent wins, right? Like, and, so, and so this whole imagery happens and what I believe is, listen, sorcery, magic, all of these things are very demonic. And in this case, there is nothing in Egypt as it pertains to Pharaoh and his household that has anything to do with God. And so the enemy has a massive stronghold. And to say that the enemy could make, couldn't make a staff something else, listen, I'm not going to make that statement. I think it's possible. Well, the problem is, what I've learned as well Is that when Satan goes toe to toe with God in any form, in any part of the scripture, and then in the end, what happens? For each man, verse 12, cast down a staff and they became servants, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Listen, this is either real or it's made up, right? Just imagine this. I don't, you know, I'm trying to get a a picture of this, of what the scene was, right? You got everyone, all of a sudden, staffs are becoming snakes. And people are getting scared, and the girls are kind of screaming in the corner, you know. And, and Aaron and Moses are standing there. And then all of a sudden, this one snake just like swallows whole these other serpents. What in the world? But oh, the imagery, right? Come on. Oh, the imagery. Here's what I've learned. Anytime the enemy goes toe-to-toe with the Lord, many examples in you and I's life, and then in the end, over and over and over, proven a loser proven a loser I believe in all deceit, in all deception in all, Satan puts himself out there in this moment hey I'll show you guys, I'll prove you against your your own God and probably even knowing his end in this moment, in his deceit and pride, does it anyway that's what the enemy does, already knowing his end does things anyway, and then what does God do? not so much, you're dead I'm going to swallow your staff. Your staffs don't exist anymore. Well, verse 13 says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Would you? If you would have seen that, don't you think there would have been a little something in you like, that's pretty cool, you know? So tell me about your God again. But his heart's hardened. All right, can we go here for a few minutes? Is that cool? Is that cool, guys? Okay. Why does Moses' heart change? What's happened? Why does this guy all of a sudden obey? Why do you, why do I start out strong? And then we think we understand what God wants of us, but then it starts to get clouded by all of our justifications and all of our desires and all of our lusts and all of our things and all of the things of this culture. And pretty soon we find ourselves in a place where we're like, I don't. What's happened here? God called me to do something, and it was very specific. And I don't even know how I got here anymore. Have you ever felt like that? You're like, Yeah, God, I know you. I know you said to do my taxes this way, but it really won't be that big a deal, will it, God? Like it's it's okay. God, I know you say love my enemies, but this one's real bad, you know? God, you don't understand. (laughs) And God's like, I don't understand enemies? Really? You know? So we're going to agree right now, I think. We're going to agree right now that there are times that we all kind of obey. Agree? Do we agree? Okay. Now I want us to agree, at least listen to something else. Kind of obeying is not obeying at all, is it? Not obeying at all. So I want to show you what I think is happening in this story. And when I do so, if you guys have your Bibles or your phones, open first to Matthew 8. Two quick things. It's not going to be on the screen. Matthew 8, verse 28. I'm going to show you tonight what I think is happening in Moses' heart. Matthew 8, verse 28, you guys all there? And when he came to the other side, to the country of Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass their way. Crazy, demon-possessed men. And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? The demons clarifying Jesus as, excuse me, the Son of God. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Come on now. Doesn't anyone just love that part of the story? You see what I'm saying? They know their end. They know the end is destruction. Have you come to to torment us before we're really going to be tormented? So look at what Jesus says. Uh, Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. What does Jesus say? And he says to them, what? What does he say? He says, go. What do they do? What do they do? Come on. They go. They obey. They obey. The demons obey. Why? Why do demons obey? Fear, certainly. Authority. In this moment, they have to obey. Christ has authority over them, right? Right? If Jesus looks and says, get out of that man or woman like he does in many exorcisms in the Bible, what do they do? They always go out. Have you ever seen Jesus not bat a thousand as it pertains to exorcisms? He always exercises the demon out. He always casts it out. Why? He has authority. The demons obey because Christ has authority. Agree. Now, problem. Many of you, many of us, Many of me see obedience as just that. Submission to authority. I obey God because I'm going to submit to authority because he's God. Because, you know, he sits on a throne. All those. Okay. Even the demons do that. So what's different about us and demons? Besides the tail, you know? That's probably not even... Correct, right? (laughs) So I want to show you another passage. Turn to Matthew 14. Jesus, uh, Matthew chapter 14. He's walking on the water. (laughs) No big deal. Verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you command me to come to you on the water. Peter is asking to obey. He's saying, if it's you, you say the word, you command, and then I'll come. I'm going to listen, I promise. It's going to be me and you. So you say the word Jesus, I'm coming. I will obey, I promise. He said, come, in the red letters. So Peter got out of a boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. And look, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus, what is the word? What is the word? Immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got out of the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is a different picture. You have demons running from Jesus, and here you have a disciple sitting in the arms of the Christ. You see what I'm saying? You see, one obeys simply because of authority, and another, even though he struggles, obey because he has relationship with Jesus and submits to the authority of the Christ. You guys see what I'm saying? It's this beautiful picture of twofold. I sit and I submit and I obey because he's in authority. At the same time, I know he loves. And I know he immediately reaches down and saves. When I struggle, when I doubt, when I wane. Did he kick Moses to the curb? No, he should have. And he should have for you and me too. He should have kicked us to the curb a long time ago. We should have been homeless. We should have been without a God and without relationships. And yet, what has happened? Grace and mercy. Why? Because a God deeply loves us. And so now then, obedience isn't just sitting under authority. Good job the demons do that. No, it's sitting under the understanding that God loves. I believe that as this relationship between god and moses has progressed he has moved not just from seeing god as authoritative he has begun be, began to understand relationship with god and whether that's true or just an assumption his heart changed by god is revealing that this man now understands obedience is more than just yes sir It's come. And when you start to fall and fail like you will, immediately he reaches up and says, come on. You're not too far sunk tonight. You've all got stuff that you're kind of obeying in and not obeying at all. And I just want you to understand, in your lack of faith, in your fear... And your regret and your remorse, I'm just saying the hand of Christ is already reaching down. It's already there. To some who have never confessed Christ before, I'm saying grab the hand of hope. Grab it. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. Grab that hand. And the image that you've had of God as just this militant general that's sitting up like we're all ants with a magnifying glass. My friends, I'm telling you what, the moment you begin a relationship with him, you will understand him to be a loving, gracious, and merciful God. And for those of you that are looking at your overall obedience right now and you're failing because you just see God as smiting you when you don't obey His commands in authority, listen, the demons do that too. You don't have to run from Him anymore in your lack of obedience. My friends, sit in submission to Him knowing that He loves you tonight and that He's reaching out His hand of grace and mercy. Grab that hand tonight and say, Lord, I don't want to disobey anymore. Not because of me, but simply because of who you are. Cause my heart to be enamored with you. And then, God, because I know you love, I will submit to the authority of the great king of the universe. Let's stand together tonight. So, just in all vulnerability, I've really wrestled with what to do now. I fought long and hard, and what I feel like is the best approach is just right now for you to examine. For right now, for you to understand and see clearly where God has commanded something specific. And you have stopped short. You have started to lose faith. You started to think that you'll run out of resources. You started to think that there's no way he can use you. You've started to believe the lies, whatever it may be, or simply you've gotten controlled by your lusts. No matter where you sit tonight, identify it. Because here's the cool thing, my friends. There could be something from years and years and years ago that you knew God told you to do. And the amazing thing about our God is it's not too late. So obey now. Sell the house and move now. Pursue this neighbor now. Quit that job and go after this dream now. Let's tonight right now in these moments... Just have some opportunity to confess to God, to plead for His forgiveness. Let's ask that He'll increase our faith. Help us understand how much He loves us. Just spend a couple moments praying right there. Come on. God, your word says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God, help us to obey in freedom. Help us, God, to submit in faith. Give us a picture of the depth of your love for us. God, for those hurting who haven't felt loved in months, I pray right now that there is this overwhelming sense of your love, of your goodness, of your forgiveness that can reach even their deepest sins. God, help us obey as your kids and help us trust, God, that your mighty arm, the hand of grace is there to immediately put us back in your arms. Help us understand your love, God.